Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host or WNRR to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD. The money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with 17 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I also have an MBA in finance. And I've been working with corporations and individuals planning for about 20 years now. Yeah, and we are ecstatic to have you listening to us today. We are. We it's are. a great day. We are. Thanks for listening to us on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, you can also catch us streaming live on our website, moneymd.net. Click on the top right-hand corner, and you can listen to us in your comforts of your kitchen. There you go. Right off the Internet. Also, I mean, you can download the TuneIn radio app on your smartphone, and you can listen to us while you're jogging golfing working around the house maybe not golfing cooking have you ever well, listened to golfing I, i've listened to ball games before you have know? You really? yeah yeah I've, I've you know kind of multitask okay there, man. that's you impressive just impressive. focus you know yeah you know shot my best round no probably not no, <laughs> no anyway so anyway check us out on our website though moneymd.net where you can link to us or you can uh you can also fill out our financial fitness questionnaire there and you can reach us by email at info at moneymd.net well john i think we have an awesome show lined today i we do. Just don't know how it could be any better. we got great topics. We're going to kick it off with a, a discussion on long-term care, and, and really, um, we have a lot of statistics, a lot of numbers, a lot of data, uh, and we're going to try to boil that down into some information that can help you make decisions on, do you need to buy long-term care? It's not it's not right for everybody. Um, the 40 must-know 40 must-know, man. This is chock-full of information. This is good stuff. You can't, <laughs> I mean, write all these down. That's right. Bowl it all down. And we can give you the list, too, if you, if you don't want to write them. Huge list of information. That's great stuff though it, it's it's interesting yeah it is so we're going to start off with that and i think your topic's going to yeah come in a second we're going to lead right into uh, the five money attitudes that can destroy your future you want to pay attention to these because you know it is so common out there we run into folks every week i would say that come in to the office and they have some attitudes that are just poisoning their financial future so we're going to talk about the five big ones today and uh, just gonna lay it out you know you can help inoculate you you know good financial medical term there for the money (laughs) md guys help inoculate you from these these uh these poison poisonous attitudes that's a good good uh segment no doubt and then we're going to end up with a uh, current event topic about interest rates and uh when they're going to rise i mean we're not going to necessarily make a prediction and tell you the time yeah you know interest rates are at historic lows so at some point uh they're going to go up Uh, there's no other way to go you can't go to a negative eventually it's got to happen we'll talk about that um of course we you know people have been saying that for a long time it's just amazing to me how long it's been stay down it's been years yeah. It really has. Yeah. So It's amazing. It's so good, anyway, good, good topic. Yep. And we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is very interesting. A uh, rare one-cent coin from 1793 wow. uh, recently sold for $1.38 million. So a penny 
turned into $1.38 million. And, you know, that sounds amazing until you realize that that's an annual rate of return of less than 9%, uh, which is about the same as stocks have produced historically. So hmm. that's the power of compounding that we talk about. You know, yeah, it's they, the wonder true. of the world. I mean, compounding, that's obviously a couple hundred years. Um, it's but, still pretty darn good for a penny. Yeah. That's <laughs> incredible. I mean, it, but even over, you know, 20, you know, 30, 40 years, compounding makes a huge difference. That's all we talk about to young folks about starting saving early. Right, right. Yeah, you'd have probably done better if you just bought Coke stock. Yeah. Right? Of Was course, Coke, Coke probably wasn't around. Not in, in 1793. 1793. Yeah. There's no company that survived that long. So, hey, you know. Yeah, the, I don't know. The penny. But your compounding returns is amazing it is. when but you talk about that. One one cent up to $1.38 million is is 9% compound. That's, that's an interesting fact. It really is. That's a good one. All right. And that leads us up to our first topic here about the 40 must-know statistics about long-term care. All 40 of them. We're going we're gonna, to. Yeah. It's a fire hose. We're pulling out right here, baby. You're going to be full of data after this one. (laughs) Hopefully it'll be worthwhile, and uh, we're going to try to boil it down as we go through it. But, you know, how to pay for long-term care is is a topic that a lot of people have. And and the question is, is, should they even have it, I guess, is probably the first question, and then how to pay for it. And, you know, making a sound decision about whether to opt for long-term care insurance uh, involves weighing the probabilities, really, and, and uh, is it worth worth it to pay the premiums for for many years and risk premium increases or maybe benefit cutbacks along the way in exchange for peace of mind that your nest egg won't be wiped away to pay for the care, you know, at the end of your life. So, um, you know, what if you if you never needed the long term care and um, or you only needed it for a limited amount of time and you've put all this money into it? So, you know, there's. Um, there's a lot of decisions, and, and so that's kind of what we're going to look at today is some of the statistics associated with it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's really no crystal ball. You know, I mean, the right decision will only – you only know for sure in hindsight whether you made the right decision or not to buy long-term care. But in any case, it, it it's a highly personal choice that will involve – uh, a lot around your health, um, your financial, you know, wherewithal, and a lot of other factors. So these statistics kind of help you play into figuring out, you know, do you fit the the average demographic of somebody that's gonna might need long term care insurance? Yeah, I think you hit it hit the nail on the head uh, there, Steve. Is the personal choice um, because we run into people that 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 are quote considered self uh, insured and they still want to purchase it just because they have a fear associated with it. That's it. And and you know. One of the easy ways to calculate it, um, and I'll just kind of throw out some some numbers here. If if the average nursing home cost is like let's say seven thousand dollars per month in the future, and you have four thousand coming in from pension and three thousand coming in from Social Security, that's that's seven thousand right there. Plus you have another five from investments. Those numbers you have twelve coming in in income and seven cost for long term care. You could be considered self insured. Um, so those are just kind of the, the you, you got to look at your income sources and then what kind of expenses do you have to figure out if you really need it from a financial standpoint. Yeah, I mean, can you afford it out of your current income, pension, Social Security? Could you afford to pay that long-term care cost? That's really the question. And if you can, then you could be self-insured, but it's still a personal choice. It a lot is. Of people, they look at the statistics and they say, you know, I just don't want to have to worry about that. Yeah. That's what I want to take off the table. There, there you go. You know, and to make good judgments about whether to buy this type of coverage, it's really important to uh, arm yourself with the facts uh, about what it's likely to cost and and uh, you know f- gauge whether or not you, you'll need care um, from a long-term standpoint and how long. And, you know, there's a lot of stats out there. And so these stats, um, you know, some of them come from insurance companies. 
companies and there's some other independent studies. These stats uh, in this article we're looking at um, are more of the independent variety. So um, we're going to kind of go through these. There's a lot of numbers on here, um, and we're going to try to boil it down to what this means to the individual. And so the first statistic that we see is um, the number of Americans age 65 or older in 2005 was about 37 million over the age of 65, and that's going to explode to over 81 million in um, 2050. Now, that's many years from now, but, I mean, it's going to more than double... The population is going to be over the age of, of 65. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. It that's, is. So it's a big growth. It's going to put a lot of pressure on healthcare costs in, in the United States, right? Absolutely. And, and so free uh, long-term care is probably not going to be in the picture. No, right? and I, you know, and you can't ever expect Medicare and Medicaid to keep up with that. Of course, Medicare doesn't cover it anyway, but Medicaid, which currently does cover it if you're destitute. It just can't possibly keep up with those demographics. That's right. So expecting the government to pay for it, you know, that's that's maybe a reason to look at it even more, you I know, long term. Today, yes, but you know, twenty years down the road, I think it's a fantasy. Yeah, I agree. And this next stat is kind of the same line: nine million Americans over the age sixty-five will need long-term care in twenty twelve. Uh, that's projected to increase to twelve million in twenty twenty. So again, that's a thirty-three percent increase in just the, eight years. Yeah, in the number. Of of Americans needing it. So the resources that are out there today are going are going to dwindle, you know, those dollar amounts and it's going to go over more people. So uh, you know, it's just not adding up to, you know, much government assistance going forward. Yeah, and a couple other stats here that are interesting. Um 40% of the older population with long-term care needs are are people who are poor or near poor. In other words, they're about 150% of the federal poverty level or less. Um, so those are probably the folks that end up on, so about 40% would end up on Medicaid in right. the current system. Um, and it says 78% of the elderly who need long-term care actually get that care currently from family members. Um, so most of those folks are, are getting, who currently get long-term care, get it from, you know, living with their, you know, children or, or having their children come into the home. and Family members or friends, right? From family members. Now, of course, you know, that's not an ideal situation for well, a lot of families. And a lot of times when someone's looking at that decision, one of the things they say is, I don't want my family to have to do this. And that's so that's, right. that's something hear, you have to think about. We hear that a lot. They yep. say they don't want to be a burden on their family that's members, right. and that's obviously happening to a lot of families. Some people do. I mean, some people are okay with that. So that's something you need to look at in your own situation. The next stat is um, $113,000, roughly, is the maximum amount of assets that a healthy spouse can retain for the other spouse to be eligible for uh, benefits to be provided by Medicaid. So you can't have a million dollars out there and get Medicaid. The maximum amount of assets is 113 and I believe in addition to that, they'll allow you to keep your house. They're not going to kick right, you out. Right, and that's uh, your spouse. I mean, you can't have that. Just that's your right. spouse could. So you get basically living. have to spend down your, your assets in order to get Medicaid. That's uh, exactly right. So, you know, 49% um, of nursing home cost is covered by Medicaid, and this is back in 2002. So Medicaid does provide a lot of benefits historically. We think going forward that's going to certainly shrink, um, you know, going forward. 25% is paid out of the uh, out of your pocket, um, and so that's probably going to increase over time. So we're gonna, we've are gonna we got some more stats here, so stick with us. We're going to get some really interesting ones that are coming up here that you can help, help you make a decision on. So 
stick with us, and I think we're going to go to a break. Yeah, email us your questions if you have any at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. We are continuing our discussion here before the break about the 40 must-know statistics about long-term care. I mean, enough numbers here, John, to pretty much sink an accountant. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these, this is good stuff, though. I mean, this is these are meaningful when you put them in context. It is. And, you know, a lot of details. One of the ones we covered before the break, uh, maximum number of assets a healthy spouse can, can maintain and still get the Medicaid for their other spouse is about $113,000. So can stay in the house as well. They're not going to kick you out, but you can't have a half a million dollars in a 401k and expect to get Medicaid. You have to, you know, it's not destitute, but you gotta spend it on down. You got to spend it down before and they'll. If you um, don't have a spouse, you pretty much have to spend it all the way down. That's right. That's right. So yeah. um, we also uh, were talking a little bit about who's paying for the uh, the cost. A lot of it's paid by Medicaid today. Um, what we see in the stats is that's going to change going forward. More is going to come out of your pocket. About twenty five percent back in two thousand and two was uh, paid out of pocket. I'm sure that's a little bit more today. Certainly will be more expensive uh, going forward. And um, back in 2002, 7.5% was paid by private insurance. That number is increasing as, as we go forward as well. Yeah, a couple more stats here that I think are very interesting. Um, the average age of admittance to a nursing home is age 79. So that's a little earlier than I would have thought, you know, before 80. It's at age 79. And then the if you're 65 years old now... The percentage of 65-year-olds who will eventually enter a nursing home during their lifetime is 40%. So that's a really high number. But to put that in context, though, another stat says 65% of those who go into a nursing home actually passed away within a year. So if you put that together, that there's a 40% chance you go to a nursing home, but a 65% chance you pass away in a year, what it means is there's a 14% chance, if you're age 65, there's a 14% chance... You go, end up in a nursing home and stay longer than a year. Yeah, that's not a big number. It's not a huge number, but that's consistent with what I've heard in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, that was around 10%, you know, for, for younger folks. If, and so it's higher for a 65-year-old. So, I mean, that's really the the category that, that really needs long-term care insurance, right? Because that's an extended, yes. you know, stay in a nursing home. It can get very, very expensive. And the average stay for somebody in a nursing home is... is is 2.4 years. And I think that's an important stat there because, you know, you want to ensure up to the you know statistics. I have a lot of people that talk about getting a, a four-year policy or a five-year. Uh, recently saw someone who wanted to get an unlimited policy. They would pay, you know, for everything. And that was going to be like $7,000 a year. Great and Scott. their income in retirement was like 55000 So they were going to pay 15% Holy of smokes. their income in, um, in long-term care benefits. And it just didn't make sense. And, and so yeah. this is this, you know. And you consider there's only a 14% chance you, you actually use those benefits. That's right. And the long-term, the length of the average day is about 2.4 years. So some people do that if you are in there and you have Alzheimer's, it can you can be in there for a long time, but it's hard to insure against every single thing out there. So if you have a three-year policy, you're pretty well covered, you know, beyond the average. Based on the stats. Yeah, based on the stats. Exactly. So, you know, um, 38% of nursing home patients um, who will eventually be discharged, um, 
that's a good that's an interesting stat if you go in there 38 percent are actually um you know will go home go back to their home yeah don't stay very long obviously yep the other interesting stat here is 10% of the people who enter a nursing home will stay there five years or more. So, you know, do you really want to insure uh, to get a policy of five years? It's so expensive to do that. Now, you got to look at your situation. You may be able to, but paying five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 to, you know, only 10% of the people, I'm not sure I would necessarily recommend yeah, and that. And that's who actually enter a nursing home. So it's really 10% of 40%. So if you're 65, there's a 4% chance you will enter a nursing home and stay long, stay five years or more. Yeah. Right? 4%. That puts so it in perspective a little bit. That really bit. does. So that's a pretty small chance. So, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't think that's something I'd run out and insure against. Yep. Um, 25%, the percentage of deaths in the U.S. that have occurred in nursing homes, um, and that's expected to increase up to 40% of folks dying in a nursing home in 2020. So um, a a fourth of the people that go into a nursing home do pass away, um, and that's expected to increase over time. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. And a few more stats here. 40% um, of the deaths uh, in the U.S. occur in nursing homes, but will incur in the nursing homes by age 2020. So uh, pretty high percentage. I mean, yep. It goes up over time. There's a 68% probability that an individual over age 65 will become cognitively impaired and unable to complete at least two of the daily activities of listening, living, the ADLs, what they call them, like dressing, bathing, eating, um, over his or her lifetime. So I think that's an important one. That says you have a 7 in 10 chance, basically, of needing some type of care, either in a nursing home or in home care. So most that's long-term right. policies do provide um, coverage inside your home. So, you know, that stat right there says having some coverage, you know, may be a good idea. Getting these huge policies, maybe not a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. And, I mean, if you have, you know, a family or somebody that's going to can care for you, if you're in a good family, family situation that would lean toward you know maybe not worried about it so much mm-hmm. you know if you have kids you you can live with or live real close by but uh if not then that's that's a you know different situation so in another stat here 42 percent of the individuals in nursing homes who are experiencing some form they are experiencing some form of dementia so you know, the high percentage that it's that, that dementia mm-hmm. is the the cause, and you can, and that's usually hereditary. So you can kind of look in your family and get an idea, you know, whether half of the whether you're, you know, really exposed to that. Sure, that family history is a big deal yeah, in to this. The half, yep. So let's look at some of the costs associated with this. Um, Seventy three thousand is the median annual rate for nursing home care in the U.S. In the CSRA, it's between fifty and sixty, depending on what kind of care that you need. Um, and to give you some 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 different numbers here. Up in uh, New York, the annual cost is one hundred and sixty-two thousand dollars. Ouch! I think I'd move down south, maybe to or maybe go to Des Moines, Iowa, where it's only sixty thousand dollars, which is more kind of what it is in the CSRA. Mm-hmm. Um, so those sure. are those are kind of ballpark numbers. Um, you know what we see is about a four and a half percent annualized increase from two thousand eight to um, to two thousand and twelve. So. You know, most of these policies have some inflation protection on there, and so that's one thing that you have to consider. Do you get any inflation protection if you're not going to need it for 10 or 20 years? Um, having, having that inflation rider, if you will, can be very valuable. 
Yeah, that's right. A few more cost stats here. Six, uh, $86,000 is the annual cost of nursing home care in Tampa, Florida. So a lot of retirees down there in Florida. Um, it's expensive. So it's a little more expensive than it is on average. Um, $41,000 is the annual base rate for residents in an assisted living facility this year in 2012. And that's about what I've heard as well here locally. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably a good number. $20 per hour is the average rate for a licensed, non-Medicare-certified home health aid. So if you have somebody coming in the home, Mm -hmm. um, it's about 20 bucks an hour. If you're using them more than six hours a day, well, guess what? It's probably cheaper to go to an assisted living facility. That's really what those two stats tell me. Pretty interesting. Yeah, that's good. The uh, average age that uh, healthcare is purchased is about fifty nine. That's in line with with what Dave Ramsey uh, recommends on that. So um, that's an average age of fifty nine. Um, the average annual premium um, is about eighteen hundred dollars, and and that's at age um, fifty five. And if you wait to age seventy, that that same coverage would be about thirty four hundred dollars. So the longer you wait, the more expensive it's going to be. So you know. Got a lot of stats here, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Money doctors have got a lot of stats. But, you know, in summary, you know, health care and retirement is expensive. Long-term care is one solution. You've, you've got to evaluate this based on your scenario. You need to look at your income situation in retirement. you got to look at your family history, some of your personal feelings and thoughts associated with it, and make the right decision for you. There's not a one right answer out there. And, you know, we'd be more than happy to sit down with you and have those discussions and kind of go through some of the checklists that we do when we sit down with, with folks. Uh, you can feel free to, to drop us a line at info at moneymd.net. Yeah, and if you'd like a copy of this list of statistics, we can email that to you as well. So send us, shoot us an email there, info at moneymd.net. And that leads up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question is about the uh, stock market performance. And uh, the question is, is the U.S. stock market has outperformed the international stock market over the last several, several years. Should I sell my international funds and invest only in the U.S.? Heaven forbid. <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, probably not. I mean, we're, we we can't predict when markets turn, but what we do see is they do go in cycles. So international is down now. At some point, it's going to turn around. At some point, Absolutely. it's going to do better. So another thought is is maybe you actually are buying international. Yeah, if you're rebouncing, you're buying buy more. Buying more. It's down, right? You want to I mean, buy low and sell high. So uh, I'm not sure I would, would, would do that. That's probably not uh, – money doctors would not recommend that. Yeah, do not try to time it. As tempting as it is and as bad as internationals have been in the past, year and a half here, uh, don't do it. Resist the temptation. Stay diversified. That's yeah. really the prescription of the day here for that one. All righty. Well, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages and Gina News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider, and we are leading off our second segment here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, this has to do with insurance policies, and if you do own an insurance policy other than what we call a term um, insurance policy, call your vendor and get what is called an enforce illustration, and that enforce illustration will basically show you the details of the policy. It'll show mm-hmm. you cash values, 
premiums. Um, I'm working with a, a, a client right now on on uh, their some of their policies they have, and we got this Enforce Illustration. This policy goes dead basically in about five to seven years, mm. meaning that they have some coverage. It runs out of money. Yeah, it's going to go away, and yeah. it's going to get. I mean, the premiums are going to go from a thousand dollars a year up to like five thousand dollars a year. And that can happen because things change. You know, um, interest rates drop, and policies they they change the interest rate inside the policy. So. Yeah. So this, you know, this good that we're looking at this right now. Um, this individual has some cash value uh, associated with it. So um, there's some different options that we're looking at. But you know, I mean, these policies are all different. So it's called an enforce illustration. Make sure you call your your uh, your vendor and get that. Yeah, I would say even if you have a term policy, you need to review it. Sure. You know, Absolutely. every every you know a few years and uh, just make sure you're still getting a good deal. And you know, if you're in good health, maybe you need to extend it. You can go ahead and re up it and and get a longer term policy before some health issue comes up. So you always need to review your life insurance policies every few years. But the Enforce Illustration is a great way to do any kind of whole life policy. And, and if you want help with that, we can sit down and, and look at it with you and help you evaluate it. A lot of people don't know if they have term or whole life or universal. We can uh, we can look at that for you. Yeah, we can we can help you with that. Great. All right, and that leads us up to our final, well, not our final, but our next topic here of the day, and that is attitude counts. There are five. Here are five money attitudes that can destroy your future. Um, this is good stuff here. I mean, you know, some people think that if you make the right moves now, they'll be financially set, you know, forever, and it will put them on the right path forever. Um, and it's true. If you take the right steps, it can make a dramatic difference in the short term. But, you know, John, it's sort of like dieting. You know, I mean, you can lose weight today, but if you don't change your lifestyle, the weight comes right back. Comes right back, right? yes. Or, or, or it's like, you know, if you're if you're in hot water with your spouse, you know, in your marriage, you can buy your wife flowers or take a nice trip, maybe patch things up for a few days. But if you don't change your behavior... It you really doesn't you really haven't changed anything. It's gonna be an expensive uh, marriage, right? That's Taking those right. trips every couple that, months. That's right. So you know, money's the same way. You can cut back, you can balance the budget, you can pay off a credit card, but give it a couple years and you're right back in trouble if your attitudes don't change. Yeah, you know, we see this all the time with young adults. Um, they get into credit card trouble. Parents, you know, swoop in, take out a withdrawal, help them pay off the debt, and then you look back and they're in the same situation a couple years later. So so, you know, if you don't change your habits, your your spending, you know, styles or your attitudes, it just comes back and repeats itself. Exactly. I mean, you never fix the problem. So remember the old saying, I mean, it's the economy stupid, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that <laughs> in was... this case, it, it's the attitude stupid. <laughs> it's not really, you know, everything else is just a symptom of the attitude. So here are the five money attitudes and beliefs that we often see defining success or failure in your finances. So we're going to jump right into these for a sake of time here. Number one is I need this new blank, fill in the blank, whatever it is, right now. TV, car. You got it. I mean, it's the belief of urgency for any purchase or expense and that it just can't wait. You got to have it now. 
Um, you may be familiar with some of these. You know, honey, if we don't get this new car now, then one of these, this one, this one's going to leave us stranded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or if we don't get this now, then we'll never see this good deal, this good of a deal again. Yeah, limited time only. There you go. I mean, I had a call from a friend about this very one, about a vehicle, um, just this week. You know, he needed some reinforcement of why not to buy it because the deal looks so good. Right. So. And then another, you know, this expensive vacation is necessary for our sanity and our marriage, right? Um, Or if we don't help our son, Tommy, you know, out of this debt right now, then his life will be ruined forever. Well, you know, the truth is weighing another year or two to buy a car probably will not hurt anything unless it's truly, your car's truly dead, right? Um, And the attitude that you always have to have it now, you always have to have new um, and have it now, that'll sink your future. You yeah. can't have that attitude. Yeah, you, you know, buying uh, used never hurt anybody, right? That's you know, exactly right. Let someone else pay the depreciation on the vehicle. Um, you know, in major purchases, delay them um, until absolutely necessary. So, you know, you know, and if you're in a situation where you're being pressured to buy, walk out and, and take a day or two or three to make the decision. Yeah, if they won't let you think about it, then, then That's there, not a there's, good there's something wrong. Yep. Exactly. And by the way, bankruptcy... It may actually be a good learning experience for your son. It won't kill them, and it won't ruin their life. You know, obviously, you don't want that to happen. You want to, you know, them to learn early. But hey, it, it's tough lesson to learn. But it, it, it'll it's teach better them. than than bailing them out and having them right back in the same situation in a few years. Okay, so that was number one. Number two here is the belief that we have to buy the best quality, or it won't last, and we're wasting our money. Right. Um, it's the old cliche, you know, you, you get what you pay for, right? Well, sometimes that's true, but not always. And it certainly doesn't have to be gold-plated. Um, speaking of gold, you know, a two-carat diamond ring is no more of an engagement ring than a half-carat diamond ring. Okay, I guess I just lost all the uh, female <laughs> listeners It's a there. thought that counts. <laughs> that's right. But, it's, you know, it's true. I mean, name brand clothes, they don't have they, they don't last or wear any longer, any better, really, than those from Walmart. Yeah, even you know, we talk about cars. I mean, Lexuses, you know, they're nice and shiny, but they may not drive any better than a, than a good Ford. I mean, Ford's come a long way. They have some nice vehicles out there, but the Lexus certainly has a higher ego factor. Right. Yeah, for sure. Than, than the Ford, and the point is, you can spend, you know, a, a lot of extra money, and um, you're not getting any better quality um, than you could have with a with a different option. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, regardless of the quality, you you, you can't control a budget if you always feel like you need to buy the best name brand, the best anything out there. Um, buy a, a good used or decent quality. Save It'll save you thousands of dollars month after month is really the, the point here. So that was number two here um, is the belief that, you know, you have to have the absolute best of everything. All right, the number third one here, uh, number three is we can just buy it now on credit and we can pay for it later. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't like that one. Everybody does it, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, they just buy it later. You're going to pay for it either way, now or later, right? Well, some people have that mentality. It just doesn't really matter if they use credit and buy it now versus cash and buying it later. Um, and it's true. You're paying for it in both cases and maybe even the same dollars if you have some no-interest credit card, right? But... You know, using credit carries that mentality of denying yourself nothing. 
and eventually it will lead to disaster um, because you know you're just not paying for it now so it just stacks up and you end up overspending if you're using credit so i mean if your children are never taught the word no then they'll end up bankrupt you know like our country and so many people um, out there so using cash really is the ultimate defense against overspending so don't bypass that safety switch it really is I mean, having cash is a safety switch in your financial life yeah this is a big deal if you're using credit and um, a lot of times people will have credit cards that have interest rates of 7 10 15 18 percent there is no way to keep up with an 18 percent credit card it no. just snowballs and then you add you know I've seen people move credit card balances around it just it catches up with you eventually and it just puts you back against the wall so yeah. you add the money in the bank before you spend exactly yeah I mean if you don't have the cash then just simply don't buy it. I mean, that is your safety switch, and you know, don't bypass that safety switch. <clears throat> All right, so that was number three. Number four here is the belief that we need to, to look uh, like we're successful and have money. Um, looking ordinary just won't do. Um, you know, I spent the weekend recently with a, a wealthy friend of mine uh, who's a doctor, an entrepreneur, he has like three practices out there. And it's interesting because you couldn't meet a more ordinary-looking guy driving driving an ordinary-looking car and wearing ordinary-looking clothes. He just has none of that belief that he has a look way successful, you know. Well, you've read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, right? That's right. I mean, that's way most mil- – a lot of them are. They're in the re- Why are they millionaires? Because they're not spending. <laughs> That's right. That's right. They're you know? saving it. They, you know, they're not concerned about the looks yeah. and Look, all that temporal stuff. Looking like you have money uh, does not buy you respect or happiness. And being well dressed and looking respectful doesn't have to cost a lot of money or even you know break the budget. So that's right. There are different so. different ways. There are. So, you know, the, the point here is worry less about what your image looks like and more about what your 401k looks like, right? If you continue to try to keep up with the Joneses, then you're going to follow them right into bankruptcy. Um, you know, they may look great, but it, it's usually all a facade. So instead of, instead, live like no one else so you can live like no one else in retirement. Yeah, I've heard that one before. We've heard that before. Mr. Ramsey. Mr. Ramsey. That's a good one. All right, when we come back from break here, though, we'll continue with this discussion. Um, but if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymt.net or give us a call during regular business hours at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the five money attitudes that can destroy your future. Yeah, they can sink you. Attitude counts. Absolutely. It does. It's big. And, you know, John, I mean, we talked about it. Um, you know, there five, we've been through four of them here. One of them was, I need this new whatever it is now. You know, it's the, it's the feeling of urgency, mm-hmm. believing that you need to buy everything right now. You can't put it off. Um, Limited time only. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's the one that'll kill you. And then you know another one that'll kill you is the belief that we have to buy the best quality. You know, we have it has to be gold plated. You know, it has to be the the best because you get what you pay for, right? Um, that's another fallacy. You know, it, you can't have that attitude. You have to be satisfied with used or something that's at least 
uh, just good quality, but yeah. not not absolute best, not the best name brand maybe. And then the third one is. We can just buy this on credit now. We can pay for it later. It's the belief that, you know, everybody's doing it. It doesn't matter. You can just buy it on credit. That's the quickest uh, way to bankruptcy, really. That is a terrible one. We've seen that so many times with people that come in with a lot of credit card debt. Um, You know, the fact is, if you don't have the cash, don't buy it. That's really the. If you have the cash, then you can make a decision of whether to finance it or not, like in your house or something that's, you know, when interest rates are really low, whether you pay off something but uh but if you don't have the cash don't do it and then number four here is the belief that that we need to look like we're successful and that we have money you know looking ordinary just won't do we got to look spectacular yeah trying to impress somebody right right? basically it's keeping up with the joneses you know it's trying to to be really impressive exactly and uh, you know, as we said, money doesn't buy happiness and and respect and and looking like that um, is just not uh, you know it's not important. I mean, you need to be more concerned what your four one k looks like. There you go. Than what what you look like and what your image is. So that was number four. All right, number five here is it's the it's the attitude that. Um, uh, we can plan for the future later, and we can focus only on today. Yeah, just wait, wait a couple just years. Just put it off. A couple months. Is, yeah. Well, what's another? What's another year? I hear that you frequently. Know? You know, it's been I've been busy and things with kids and and, right. and finances. A lot of times right. don't do not bubble up to the top. Right. You've heard that verse from Matthew where it says, "Don't worry about tomorrow for the day. Will, tomorrow will take care of itself." You know. Well, it, it's. It's exactly what our government's doing, you know. I mean, it's a great verse, but you don't want to take it out of context, and that's not what it means. It yeah. doesn't mean, I think some people believe that it does mean that you cannot plan for tomorrow, you know, since it's it fits our lackadaisical attitude. But um, it's just not true. You know, as a result of this belief, we don't save as much in our 401k. Um, We believe we can't afford it or we can do it later. We can catch up later. We can worry about it later. We don't uh, create a retirement plan because we're too focused on upgrading our car or house when we get a raise. Yeah. You know, instead, I mean, develop a financial plan for a reasonable life lifestyle today. Have some fun in there. Take some vacations, some trips, you know, do some cool stuff. But you also have to look uh, you know, forward to retirement because when you turn your income off from your job and you, you're not getting that income, you've got to be able to turn it on from an, another source. And quite frankly, Social Security, um, that's not a great thing to uh, rely on. So you've got to have some investments to provide you income and you've got to fund that and make that a priority. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, in finances, if you plan for tomorrow, today will actually take care of itself because you already planned for today, yesterday. Ah, I like that. That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I came up with that myself. Old Chinese proverb. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So stop neglecting the future for immediate gratification. Pay for your future first before rewarding your hard work. That's really the moral of that 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 attitude here okay so the takeaways here are actions are important but attitude does count so you need to get to the root of your money problems it's usually your attitude so stop chasing the joneses you know and lose the the need for your image um buy used buy with cash buy later if possible and don't always buy the best so focus on your future first and today and uh today will take care of itself when it comes to money. All right. So if you have questions, you can, or if you want help, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. 
And that leads us up to our final topic here of the day, and that is when will interest rates rise? Got our uh, crystal ball here, right? Yeah, we're, we're rubbing it. We're there we go. To, it's it's kind of fuzzy. It's still a little cloudy over yeah, here. I don't know, I know what you're seeing. No, I don't see it, but I, I tell you one thing. I, I know uh, I know the answer to this, and I'm wondering if you do. You probably do. Trivia question. When was the last time the Federal Reserve raised the benchmark U.S. interest rate? Boy, it was a pretty long time ago. It was. I mean, it's like six years ago, six June years. the 29th, yeah. 2006, and on that day, the federal funds rate, which is the rate that they lend to banks and kind of trickles down from there it hit 5.25 percent it's declined ever since it stayed uh, at the zero to 0.25 percent since um, 2008 and the fed expects to hold the interest rates at that level through late 2014 and some analysts think it may remain there to 2015 and you know all that noted um, when should you know when should the fed make a, a move with rates and what might happen to the rates um, approach you know what will it look like based on history i guess is the question you know if it, when it does start moving what's it going to do to the markets right boy i mean i never thought i would see 10-year bond rates at like one and a half percent right there today it's amazing it's unbelievable it really is and you know i mean i guess it could go a little bit lower but it can't go below zero i well, know that after inflation you know it's approaching the zero it certainly it certainly is yeah i mean it's not below three and a half percent last year so yeah, I mean, that's a long time. But right now, I mean, the Fed really has little incentive to make any moves. Um, our economy generated only 75,000 jobs per month in the second quarter of this year um, compared to 226,000 uh, in the first in the first quarter per month. Um, unemployment's currently at 8.3%, and we have housing and business sectors that are far from healed. So hiking the Fed funds rate in such an environment like this really is doesn't make any sense. Um, in fact, I mean, the Fed's rationale for its current policy is that interest rates need to stay low or near these levels until we reach full employment, which is more like a 5 to 6% unemployment rate. So low interest rates, they help us, they help encourage businesses to invest in, in the big ticket purchases. Um Though they're really not any boon to retirees, you know, because a lot of people living off fixed income are making nothing on their money. So the question is, you know, does the economy warrant further easing? Well, maybe not. I mean, the federal government really doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, levers they can pull to ease with. I mean, basically all they can do is buy back long-term bonds and replace them with short-term bonds in an effort to try to pull down interest rates. Um, And that's what they've been talking about with the QE3 but, um, you know, given where we are, second quarter GDP growth was only 1.5%, um, a little bit better than the 1.2% they forecast by a lot of economists. But, you know, I, I think most people believe that the Fed's going to hold off on doing anything right now. Yeah, I mean, so the question is, is when when might rates rise? And like we're talking about, it, it could be a while. I mean, right now, inflation's kind of mild per the CPI at, at 1.7%. It certainly feels higher with gas prices and grocery and everything, the folks that we talk to out there. Um, you know, there's been a coordination um, of, of uh, different banking systems around the world to encourage low interest rates in the short, short term. And they've also printed a lot of money, which brings into another question about inflation. And uh, will inflation yeah. be an issue going forward? A lot of people think um, that, yeah, inflation is going to be rising over the next three to five years. Um, and that's something you need to look at as well in your situation. So, you know, 
if you look at the um, the budget and the economic outlook, um, the uh, the price index, uh, they're projecting it to be kind of low for the next couple of years at two percent. But I mean, no one really knows what's going to happen when all these things you know come together in the next couple of years. Interest rates rising, inflation uh, you know spiking as well. So yeah, I mean, you know, the question is, what will bond bond investors do if interest rates do climb or when they climb? Because eventually they will. But I mean, if interest rates kicked up. Um, what investor is going to want to stick with a, a 1% or 2% bond return when they could get something higher, you know, in the current market? You know, if you think back to the 70s, the, the Fed funds rate um, rose like 3%. Uh, you know, when it did, the Treasury lost as much as a third of its value as a consequence. So um, the fact is, you know, there is some risk there. I mean, Fed funds, interest rates may rise, but it's probably going to be a while. The Fed said basically they're going to keep it level through 2014 is what the latest I've heard. Yeah, I mean, what we look at is having sh- short-term, if you have bond exposure, have short-term bonds, there's a lot of risk in long-term bonds when rates do rise. We don't know when they're going to rise. It's probably going to be a while, like you're saying. So, um, Yeah, as far as, when you boil this down and look at the application, I mean, if you have bonds in your portfolio, which most older folks do, um, you want to keep those short and high quality, yep. really, because interest rates eventually will go up, and it'll hurt your return if you're in a long-term bond. So that's really the moral of the story here. Okay, well, good topics, and this has been this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Or email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. You can give us a call, John and Steve, at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host or WNRR to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of of FINRA and SIPC.